Episode 30, Systematizing Senior Care. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Stahl from Stahl Senior Medical. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Stahl, who is the founder of Stahl Senior Medical. I thought Stahl Senior Medical is a really interesting operation. It's kind of a a hybrid of a practice, a healthcare practice, and a consultancy. And their objective is to really level up senior care, which is a misnomer in and of itself, because when we say senior care and we try to lump everyone over the age of 65 into one category, that is not a plan for success. But Regardless, there is a lot that can be done relative to standardizing the best practice care of older Americans today. What uh, Dr. Stahl aims to enable is people to live their lives as hopeful and knowledgeable as possible, aging in place as long as possible, and and to delay really the onset of, of debility. With that, let me introduce Dr. Robert Stahl, so he can talk about exactly how he goes about this. Welcome to the program this morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You began as a a provider with a specialization in in geriatric medicine, and now you are the founder of Stahl Senior Medical. How did you get from provider to founder of a business? It became very evident there were lots of different areas where a a geriatrician, a a specialist in in senior care, could be of help. And Stahl Senior Medical really is the vehicle to explore all the different possibilities in how a, a trained medical professional in senior care, a trained physician in senior care, could help raise the bar in how care is provided to older adults and also those caregivers of their loved ones that struggle to do the best they can to help their uh, their senior loved ones. So you were working as a provider and you saw that there were, were definite needs that were not being filled in the, the current suite of offerings that were out there. Is that what happened? Absolutely. The fact is that only uh, approximately 5% of the 65 and over population reside in nursing homes. And and the 95% of people that are out and about either living in their homes uh, independently in uh, other types of senior living facilities that have cropped up since my training, senior apartments and assisted living facilities, really are the masses that that I uh, saw a tremendous need. Uh, a lot of the geriatric programs, and I would say the majority of geriatric training programs, really focus on the inpatient setting and the long-term care setting. Graduates of the programs often uh, remain as providers in those settings or remain in academia without necessarily getting out into the real world and and trying to address the the real needs of those 95% of seniors.
seniors that are out there and need help. And what what are those real needs? I mean, what are the issues and challenges that the I'm not sure what the correct term is for the over 65 crowd, but but what are the needs that are that are out there that you felt were unfulfilled? Well, the old, the older 65 crowd, I call older adults. Uh, when people try to call themselves old or I'm an old person, I correct them and say, you're older. There, there's always someone that's older than you, except for the person who's the oldest person in the world, of course. You know, it gives a new perspective that tries to combat the prejudice that's called ageism which is one of the real issues out there, ageism that rears its head in the form of doctors and other health professionals telling patients, older patients, uh, what do you expect at your age? You're not getting any younger. And then patients themselves picking up on that and coming in to see me and other providers and saying, doc, you know, I'm 95. Uh, What do you expect? My goal as a geriatrician and also a geriatrician really focused on keeping people out and about independent and functional and healthy is to say you have a lot to expect and that things do crop up as you get older might be more frequent. But getting sick is not part and parcel with with old age. There are reasons that older people have a disease, overt disease, heart attacks, pneumonia, urinary infections, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. But they also suffer from what I like to call diseases and, and diseases like depression, social isolation, pain, loneliness. And it's these uh, diseases often that, that causes even more uh, suffering than the actual chronic diseases that uh, older people uh, tend to accumulate as they get older. And I could see how some of those that you just mentioned, for example, the the isolation, which might need, lead to depression, are probably more predominant in the 95 percent. I don't want to say more predominant, but I, but I could see how at a, at a minimum isolation would be something which is, which affects those living at home more than those living in institutions. Absolutely. Uh, yet, you know, the people living at home, there are many. So, you know, you can't really you know, talk about the 65 plus population as a uh, homogeneous group. And, and uh, you have to tailor the care and approaches to to the specific needs of the population and and to just lump a 65 plus population as one homogeneous group is uh, another you know, form of ageism, which, uh, like I said, is is prejudice or misinformation, misunderstanding of of people who are getting older. Yeah, I was actually thinking that. You know, I'm thinking about, for example, my parents who are also in their in their 70s who are traveling all over the world, and then I think about my grandmother who is celebrating her 100th birthday. Wow, uh, coming wow. up here. Congratulations! Wonderful. Yeah, so. Big party. We're going to have a big party. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) But she has entirely different needs and um, uh, issues than uh, than I would I I would say her her children. 
talk a little bit about Stahl Senior Medical. You know, we've got a non-homogeneous population, as we just talked about, and we're be, we're focusing on those that are choosing to age in place at home. You talked about some of the issues, the diseases and the diseases and, and ageism that are prevalent out there. How does Stahl Senior Medical fit into this picture? What we're trying to do is fill in the uh, gaps in care, considerable gaps in care that exist for seniors, either because of lack of knowledge of how to approach senior care needs or inability for practices really to adjust their regimens and how the practice works to do what is is rec- even recommended by official uh, organizations and the HMOs. For example, we're trying to address annual wellness visits, which uh, one local HMO here in Buffalo, uh, only 4,000 of their Medicare Advantage members, of their 45,000 Medicare Advantage members, actually availed themselves of the formal Medicare annual wellness visits. And and I shouldn't even say availed themselves. Really, it would be in in their primary care practice arena to offer it uh, to their patients. And these are visits that are not the same as an annual history and physical, a routine annual physical exam. These are specifically exams to address preventive health prevention, preventing health problems from uh, developing. And uh, it's quite a hands-on, person-to-person discussion that needs to take place. And for a practice to set aside the 20 to 30 minutes that it would take to do this type of visit properly as recommended and to justify the billing code, uh, many practices are, are just not set up to do it. So, as I said, there's a 41,000 member gap last year for one of our local HMOs in their members uh, having these offered by their primary care providers. So, we're working with that HMO and also talking with the others and also specific practices that aren't doing them. How could we be of assistance to help them offer this service to their their members or in the case of a specific practice, to offer it to their uh, patient population. And what would that solution look like? Would it be someone from your organization, from Stahl Senior Medical, actually going to someone's home and performing the, the wellness exam? Yeah, there there are different ways that it can be done, and, and really we try to tailor it to you know both the needs of our client, uh, whether the client is the HMO, the client is the medical practice, or if the client is a specific patient. The two main arenas that we're doing these visits is embedded in uh, individual practices and also at the patient's home. Well, it sounds like that really echoes a a theme I've been hearing quite a bit of lately relative to the decentralization of healthcare. That in the past, healthcare was very centralized, for example, in a hospital or in a doctor's office. But what's happening now, given the proliferation of, for example, you know, wearable devices and aging in place, part and parcel to this, Healthcare is starting to to spread out and and be delivered in locations that are s- scattered all over the place, including patients' homes. Absolutely, and 
our main uh, thought in, in doing it that way really is to go retro and uh, to bring healthcare back to the homes like my pediatrician in, in New York City in Upper Manhattan used to come to my home to see me uh, when I got sick as a child. And uh, doctors used to do house calls uh, to, you know, every age patient. And I think, you know, it's a model that needs to be brought back for a variety of reasons. One, you have a, a population like a senior population that transportation is often very difficult. Uh, many uh, might not be able to drive themselves and would have to rely on a, a caregiver uh, to do that. And then the caregiver has to take off work or otherwise uh, has to you know, take off really a half day to get to a doctor's office because by the time you drive there, sit in the waiting room, have the visit and get back, you're talking about a, a half a day where we can go to senior living facilities or communities where seniors live in close proximity to each other and close proximity to uh, our provider staff, then it makes much more sense for one of our providers to kind of roll out of bed and roll down the road to, uh, to see the patients rather than having each individual patient have to go through the gyrations uh, to get to a doctor's office. I was just having a, a conversation recently with someone who was talking about the myopic fixation that the healthcare system currently has on medical process. In other words, you know, it's almost like this when when someone talks about best practice medicine, our minds immediately go to, you know, what is the treatment modality? What do we do first? What do we do second? And loses the larger social context. In other words, if the, the patient speaks a different language and can't understand a word you're saying, does it really matter if you're telling the, the, the patient what they need to do at home to be adherent to the medicine and they don't understand you? Or exactly like you've just described, if the patient can't get to the point of care, the care setting, then what does it matter what you're doing in the care setting? They can't get there. Yeah, I, exactly. And one one uh, specific point, uh, when uh, especially when you ask, you know, what types of issues are we addressing? Medications are a gigantic issue. Besides the potential cost savings, and my goal, if I if I could do one thing, I'd love to get every senior that's on 10 plus medications off at least one of them. And if, if you look at the cost to the health system, uh, if, if people average 10 uh, medications per over 65 patient, which is, is not a, a bad estimate, if you can get rid of one of them, decrease it by 10%, you're going to have improved quality of life by getting rid of inherent side effects and interactions with other medications and also save 10% of the money that's going towards paying for that. But, but medications, uh, there are patients, many, many patients that 
have to decide between you know paying their medication copays or or the full cost of medications and putting food in their refrigerators or paying their electric bill and uh, heating bill to have a, a practice guideline or uh, a clinical protocol that tells a, a clinician how to address uh, polypharmacy uh, multiple medications you have to temper it by the reality on the ground and that's, you know, what's going on with the patient. And I put in place a questionnaire for patients before uh, they, they see me in the office. And, and the question is, have you, you know, stopped a medication uh, that was prescribed to you since your last visit? And in parentheses, say, even for reasons because you can't afford it. So, you know, that gives a patient permission to admit that medications might be expensive and that they, you know, might not be able to take it just for the simple reason they can't afford it, a very real issue. So, you know, the obsession with practice guidelines and clinical protocols, you know, in one sense, it's good in that it should provide consistency in care and uniform approaches, but I can tell you that the kind of care provided to seniors doesn't even have the the simplest of basic protocols, and, and that would be simply maintaining an accurate, complete problem list, uh, including diseases and diseases, and also a current, accurate, medication list. And, uh, you know, if every older uh, person had that in place, it would be go a long way to improving care. And, and that's uh, one of my goals. So, you know, how do you get that to happen? And, and that's, uh, you know, you might call that a practice guideline or a clinical protocol, but it's, it's really, you know, what we learn uh, 101 day one clinical in medical school. And yet, even that, those basics are not happening to the extent that they should, especially for seniors. Well, let's circle back to Stahl Senior Medical for a sec, because I want to make I want to kind of sharpen the points on exactly what your organization does. It, it sounds based on what we've just been talking about that I don't want to say opportunistic, because that's probably not the right word, but it, it sounds like what you do is you identify a very a, a set of specific needs that you know, based on your experience, are gaps for the over 65 segments, with plural, and then you work on programming to address those needs. Yes, uh our efforts to date in providing primary care to senior living facilities has been uniformly welcomed by both residents and the people who manage the facilities. And we expect that that effort and expanding it to the greatest extent we, we can will, will make a, a big difference for the lives of people living in those settings. And that would be assisted living, independent living settings as, as well, senior apartments, patio homes, uh, over 55 type communities uh, that exist in Western New York. And hopefully our goal is to put in place a, a model that could be replicated elsewhere. That's our intention to make it streamlined, to make it simple. Of course, uh, local factors and, and the culture of each individual facility needs to be taken into account. 
But the basic process is what we're developing to be able to transplant really to any uh, setting, be it type of facility or uh, located in geographically diverse places. You've got two things that are going on. One is within institutions. And then we had also been talking about aging in place. So the other thing you've got is independently living seniors. And and effectively, what you're doing is creating a set of, of protocols that you could transport systemically from one area to another. Exactly. We we met yesterday with a uh, facility that we will soon begin work in, and uh, it's a facility that's part of a, a national chain. And the administrator uh, of that facility, uh, even in the brief meeting we had, asked us, uh, you know, are we able to go elsewhere besides the Western New York Buffalo region that we're in? That is exactly what we're hoping to do. What exactly are you doing within those facilities that the, the facilities themselves aren't currently providing? Like, what is the gap that you're filling for a patient that's living in an institutional setting already? The the. People we met with yesterday, this is a it's a senior living facility, not uh, an assisted living facility, which assisted living has medical staff uh, available and are licensed to be able to provide medical services, nursing Ah, services. The organization we met with yesterday are specifically precluded from providing medical services. If they recommend a particular provider, they can't limit it to a, a specific doctor or or a physical therapist organization. They they have to offer the service uh, more generally to their to their people that live there. But they can engage in relationships where they would certainly help promote an organization or company like ours that's willing to come on site and to give that extra mile to really help meet the needs, to help avoid the the transportation uh, issues, to help address needs more immediately on a day-to-day basis than having to wait a week to, to go out to whatever doctor they're going to, to, to have someone to call that will respond to them promptly and have a way to meet their healthcare needs more uh, directly. And also to work together with the other health organizations that are already serving the organization. Yesterday, we found out that there's a a physical therapy company that has rented space uh, on the campus of that organization. And we tend to work very closely with them to integrate what we do and make sure uh, it's well coordinated with the therapist. Also, there's a geriatric case manager that uh, independently does work on the campus, doing fantastic work, going above and beyond what you could imagine. And we certainly want to work closely with that organization to provide the best uh, overall package of care uh, to the people who live there. Would you almost consider yourself a an informal patient centered medical home, which is on site? That's exactly what we're trying to provide. Our organization, Stahl Senior Medical, the staff that we have, 
beyond the uh, clinicians are there to co- help coordinate that care. And by pulling in other people that are doing uh, great things uh, already, we, we are developing uh, exactly what you said, a, a, a home, a, a home that's, they have a home at that uh, facility, but it's a home that also has medical services and I wouldn't even say health care services, but health services that goes beyond specific doctor visits. We want to promote wellness and, uh, and health overall health and not just these uh, provision of individual isolated healthcare services. The other major area that, that we're doing work in is in care transitions, working with hospitals and uh, subacute care facilities. And most of the subacute care facilities are uh, based in long-term care facilities, but they are for short-term uh, rehab patients who come from the hospital, need time uh, for convalescence, uh, physical therapy, other more intensive services before they're able to return home. But the fact is that there's a very high incidence of people who end up getting re-hospitalized within a month after they get discharged from the hospital. And that's the third major area that we are have started work in uh, this year. And I didn't mention, you know, going to senior centers and places like that also to offer our services. But our uh, transitional care is to get one of our providers out to someone who's just been discharged, either from hospital or a, a subacute care unit, a rehab facility, and get in there quickly to make sure that they understand what they should be doing to continue their recovery fully and, and don't slip back and end up getting uh, rehospitalized. The things that I've kind of written down as overall themes that Stahl Senior Medical is working on is, to sort of summarize, number one, preventative care, which you're handling in the form of your wellness visits, the coordination of care, in other words, acting as an on-site, almost patient-centered medical home, and then transitions of care, ensuring that that they're smooth in, in order to really prevent readmissions and expensive acute repercussions of a non-adherence to therapy or one doctor not quite understanding what another doctor had prescribed. Exactly. The last place, and this is true for anyone, uh, anyone, especially an older person that's been in the hospital, is to go back to the hospital. So, you know, to work with them and to identify anything that could help avoid that is very important. And, And what it's unique about what we do is that we're having an actual uh, healthcare provider, a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant go out and do the assessment and visit and, and coordinate with their primary care doctor, the facility uh, that they came from, with uh, the patient and the family, uh, with the home care services that might be in place. And to, you know, really pull together their whole uh, discharge plan and to make sure it it works uh, effectively. That uh, we see as another critical area. And, you know, you mentioned 
and being opportunistic, I wouldn't call it opportunistic. I think these are opportunities to really help where no one's uh, jumping in to really make an effort to make a big difference. And we also are doing it in a manner where we want it to be a sustainable program. We want it to be supported by existing reimbursement streams. We don't charge the referring facilities anything extra to provide the transition of care services. We don't ask for a retainer from the senior care facilities that we provide our primary care at. We don't ask for uh, anything from the medical practices that we are doing annual wellness visits in or the community settings that we're doing those in. We're uh, setting up our systems to rely on existing reimbursement streams. And if we find that those existing reimbursement streams uh, just don't work, given the services we provide, then we'll work to get them adjusted appropriately by showing you know, how, how much uh, it actually saves it's in the long run. If you're going to give some advice to a provider, and by provider, I mean a, a healthcare professional who is not a specialist in the over 65 segments, so if you're going to give advice to a provider who has three hours and really wants to improve the care that they're delivering to older adults, what would you suggest that they start to think about? Number one, I'd be happy to provide a pre-visit questionnaire that I feel would give a provider information at their fingertips once they get in the exam room that could point them to key issues in geriatric care that they might not otherwise think about or have been trained about. I, I really feel that something as simple as a pre-visit questionnaire that's filled out by the patient and family member in the waiting room would reap tremendous benefits in terms of any provider getting a better handle on the real issues in, in geriatric care. And that's this, available on your website? It's not on my website, I prefer people contact me directly. They can feel free, free to call me on my cell phone, which is 716-861-1312. Definitely having a pre-visit questionnaire could be a really great way for a provider to spend some time on this very important and growing set of, of segments. Now, now, you mentioned setting aside three hours. So, so that should take five minutes to do that. Basically, you uh, get the form, you make copies, you have your receptionist give it to people sitting in the waiting room as, as they come in and check in at the desk. So, you know, that's about a 10-minute intervention that, that you need to make in your office protocol. The bulk of the rest of the time, I think, you should define a champion in your office, someone that's competent, that already has a handle on senior care issues. If you don't have that person, then look for a community resource in your area. I would certainly be happy to entertain phone calls in, in how to help you help practices and hospitals and other healthcare organizations or community provider organizations get up to speed on, on how to best address the needs of seniors. So presuming you get that champion, you, you have them learn about the issues and, and then spend the time sitting down and can you find a 
way to work annual wellness visits as defined by Medicare and the HMOs, the Medicare annual wellness visits, how can you work those into your practice? You may have to build some templates or find the pre-existing templates in, in your EMR to be able to do it. You have to learn the specific billing codes uh, that are used for initial annual wellness visits and follow-up annual wellness visits. But uh, once you invest that, that upfront time, then it, if you're a patient-centered medical home or have some other type of incentive payments from the payers, it, this should go towards helping with that. If you're a, a payer, an insurance company that finds ways to disseminate and get your provider uh, contingency to do these, then it uh, likely will help with your star ratings as a plan and your HEDIS measures. So, you know, there, there's advantages all around, and it's important for uh, especially the payers to get the money that they deserve for the services that they're paying for. We spent the last year doing almost 7,000 home visits for a local payer to look at the risk adjustment of the Medicare Advantage population. And our work, we don't know exactly what it translated to, but it translated into uh, millions of dollars of potentially lost revenue for that one payer. By doing this face-to-face -face and very personal uh, service, these home visits, it was a win-win. The patients loved it. We added a, an informational packet chock full with tremendous resources for the patient that we didn't have to do as part of these visits, but we felt we, we needed to because we were going to be out there and, and, and sitting down with so many people. And the, the payer reaped the benefits of their in, improving their risk adjustment score. So if a practice sits down, uh, let's say another hour and talks about how they can work their annual wellness visits uh, into their protocol, you know, they still have uh, an hour and 50 minutes to sit down and have your EMR run some reports on your senior population. Take a look at what you're doing. Do some audits just to see, are you capturing all of the problems, the diseases and diseases accurately and thoroughly in the comprehensive problem list? Are your medication lists thorough and, and understandable? Are you monitoring glucoses properly for diabetic older patients? Do you have too tight of control for older diabetic patients where they end up going to the hospital because of hypoglycemic episodes? Look at patients on warfarin, Coumadin, and are you managing them to the best of your ability? Or can you do it more efficiently and more thoroughly? There, there's really a world of things that, that can be done, and you just have to you know, set aside the time. You just sit down and, and cut out the time to stop. Look at what you're doing and just push your bar a little bit to doing it just a little bit better. That very much is reminiscent of taking the time for population health, really, for the various patients. Absolutely. Exactly. Your... Exactly. Well, I thank you so much for being on the, the program today. It's my pleasure. And uh, like I said, I, I welcome anyone to contact me. And if I can help them care for their seniors and the people that care about the seniors a little bit better, I'm happy to figure out a way to work with them to do so. 
Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is is also in that same right-hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. It, we would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.